This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, hello there, everyone. This is Dr. Leslie Kernison of BetterHealthWhileAging.net. And welcome to today's COVID and vaccination update for aging adults and their families. My updates and recommendations today is Thursday, September 9th. And it's now been about, uh, I think, six weeks since I did one of these updates, lots of developments. So I wanted to share a little update with our Better Health While Aging community. And today, um, what I'm going to be covering is a brief recap of where we're at with COVID in the United States right now. And then what we've learned about COVID vaccination, especially about the efficacy over the last six months. I'm gonna talk about the latest on third doses, which are also sometimes called boosters, since we've been getting a lot of questions about that. I'm going to talk about um, how to know what's safe uh, to do and answers to some of the common questions I've been hearing. And I'm gonna close with my latest recommendations for older adults and families. So the too long didn't read it, um, take home points. Again, the Delta variant that we have right now is very contagious, can be easily caught and transmitted even by people who are fully vaccinated. That's why we have to approach it a bit differently than we were approaching COVID earlier in the spring. And uh, despite uh, recent developments on the research front, COVID vaccination, especially if you have been vaccinated with one of the mRNA vaccines, Moderna or Pfizer, still is proving to offer excellent protection against hospitalization or death due to Delta, even in people who were vaccinated um, early this year. Now, what I'm going to talk about in this update is that um, there is more and more data showing that um, the protection of the vaccine uh, decreases over time against infection. So against catching COVID and having a milder case. And that is probably part of why we're seeing a lot more breakthroughs right now than we were a few months ago. And as you may have heard in some countries, notably Israel, they have implemented a plan to give a third dose, a booster to, um, in Israel, they're giving it to almost all adults. Uh, in a few other countries, France and Germany, starting this month, they're starting to give it to some of their older or vulnerable adults. Um, now, the booster plan is still unclear in the United States, and it's still a little unclear who actually, you know, truly needs it. I'll talk about that more um, in the updates. Um, but um, Despite this, the safest right now approach is to be fully vaccinated, which in the United States means two doses uh, with an mRNA um, vaccine. And if COVID rates are high or going up in your area, which is the case for the vast majority of metro areas in the United States right now, um, I do recommend taking additional precautions by wearing masks in indoor public spaces and basically doing what you can to limit your exposure to the exhalations of other people, unless they are in your household and household bubble, uh, whether or not they're vaccinated. Um, 
And then as always, I continue to recommend COVID vaccination. Uh, if by chance you are watching or listening and have not been uh, vaccinated yet, it is effective in most people, including most older adults, including frail uh, older adults, unless they have B cell or T cell problems. Those are white blood cells that help uh, respond to the vaccine and help fight infection. It is overall pretty darn safe. The number of people who have had significant side effects is extremely small relative to the number of people who have um, been vaccinated. Um, and it's much smaller than the number of people who are ending up quite sick from COVID. So uh, at this time, your risk of harm from COVID is way higher than your risk of harm for the vaccine. And that's part of why I recommend the vaccine. And also, um, you can also think of it as a civic duty. It's how we are going to get the pandemic under control and protect our communities and ourselves. Um, so um, I had a mild qualm about getting vaccinated at the very, very beginning because it was so new. Now a gazillion people have had it. <laughs> I don't worry about it. And I also uh, chose to vaccine my 13-year-old child. That's my level of confidence in the vaccines. So let's go now with the update. Um, so we basically had a uh, COVID surge start this summer in July, especially driven by the Delta variant of coronavirus, which is extremely contagious uh, and also seems a bit more likely to cause severe illness. So right now we're at about 150,000 cases per day in the United States. We have about 100,000 people uh, hospitalized and we're at about 1,500 deaths per day. Um, so the curve, uh, the good news is that if you look at the national curve, it's no longer going up like this. It's actually stabilized and might even be starting to trend down. Um, so that's good. And some states, if you look at it state by state, some states have peaked and it's definitely uh, coming down. But we have a few other states where it's on the um, upswing. And it's important when you're looking at the question of peaking is that even after you hit the peak and you start to come back down, um, cases can still in absolute terms be quite high, which means there's still a lot of people around who have COVID and could be transmitting um, COVID. Um, and later in this update, I'll show you um, why I recommend looking at your specific area and what I recommend looking at to see your COVID transmission rates. We're also seeing more cases in uh, children, quite a lot of cases in children. Children are actually now making up, uh, I think, 25 or 26 percent of all cases. Um, this is uh, because schools have reopened. Um, most children cannot be vaccinated, are, are under 12, where we have no vaccine. Many of those who could be vaccinated over 12 uh, are not um, due to the choice of their families. And then in many areas, um, there are not a lot of masks or precautions being taken for the school. And in some areas, that's even forbidden by um, the local laws. So um, that's definitely um, you know, a, a concern. More cases in general means more risk for those who might be more vulnerable like older adults or people with uh, health conditions. Um, so, but when people are vaccinated, we are still seeing uh, quite low levels of hospitalization, although some people do get hospitalized. So what have we learned about COVID vaccination over these past six months? Um, so as I share some of uh, you know, the recent research with you, I, I wanna clarify that it's really important to distinguish between vaccine efficacy, so which we'll be abbreviating VE, 
So that's how effective the vaccine is in preventing something. And it's important to distinguish between how effective the vaccine is at preventing infection, which we could define as testing positive and getting symptoms. There is like a debate if you test positive briefly but have no symptoms at all, were you really infected or were you just having a little moment? Um, but um, so certainly a number of people who have been vaccinated uh, are getting what's called a breakthrough infection with symptoms. Um, although they are contagious for less time than people who are unvaccinated and may recover more quickly. But we wanna distinguish between uh, getting an infection versus getting severe illness, uh, which is often defined as being hospitalized or even uh, dying. Um, we've also found that it's important to track the vaccine effectiveness over time. So what we have found now that we have months of track record with the vaccines is that there is lots of evidence that the vaccine effectiveness changes over time, especially when it comes to the effectiveness against preventing infection. Um, and then the other consideration is that vaccine effectiveness may be different against variants like Delta. So the coronavirus um, is constantly mutating and the Delta um, variant definitely has mutations that um, allow it to be more contagious and get kind of caught into the body uh, a little bit more easily. So that means as we look at research, um, we wanna know is this from a period before Delta was prevalent, pre-Delta or more recent? Um, and because of the twist of the variants, it has been hard to tell sometimes whether we are seeing more cases, more breakthroughs, because the vaccine itself gets weaker um, with time versus it's just that the vaccine is less effective against a variant like Delta. So right now we have three COVID vaccines in the United States. Uh, we have two mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccines. These are the ones that received the emergency use authorization last uh, December. They're the ones that have been most widely used in the United States. Pfizer actually got the full FDA authorization on August 23rd. That is still pending for uh, Moderna. And then we also have the Johnson & Johnson one-dose vaccine, which uses a different technology, which was approved in uh, February. So overall, we have a lot more data and information about how well the mRNA vaccines work. In the States, they were given to more people, they were given earlier, they were given to groups where we are gathering more data in general, like nursing home residents and health workers. Um, also, an enormous amount of information about the mRNA vaccines comes from Israel, where they only used Pfizer, but they kind of made a deal with Pfizer that they would vaccinate as many people as possible in their population and uh, share lots of data about what happened. Uh, and they have a fairly centralized health system that allows them to gather a lot of data about people. Um, so that's what I'm going to talk about the most today. Um, it's important to note that only the Pfizer vaccine has been approved and it's only emergency use authorization, I think, for ages 12 to 16. Um, so there is uh, no vaccine available yet for people who are under age 12. Um, and I think Pfizer, yes, it might be 12 to 18, because I think Moderna starts at age 18, if I remember. Yeah, so no vaccine yet for children, unclear when that's going to come out. Um, so people have had a lot of questions about the vaccines. Are they still protecting me? What do I need to do? So let me start by first talking about the Johnson Johnson vaccine because there's actually less information about it. So it was only given to 8% of Americans. The initial data 
that they submitted for the authorization, so before Delta, showed that it was 66% effective against infection, but 100% uh, effective against, um, uh, I think that should actually say deaths. It was quite high against hospitalizations. Uh, I think it was like 95% against hospitalizations. And then the Mayo Clinic studied it in the real world uh, in their population, but before Delta, and they found that it was 76% effective. So that was all reassuring. Now, since then, we've had less information about how Johnson & Johnson is doing. So this has been very frustrating to um, the minority of people who were vaccinated with Johnson & Johnson. Uh, just uh, last month in August, the South African um, government, I believe, uh, released some results from a trial that they have been doing following 500,000 of their healthcare workers who were vaccinated with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And they say that what they are seeing more recently is 71% vaccine effectiveness against hospitalization and 95% against death. So what I think this means is that uh, if you are vaccinated with Johnson & Johnson, you are probably not very old. You are probably somebody who is younger or maybe in middle age. You should feel confident that this is still providing you with good protection against hospitalization, um, but you could get a breakthrough, which has implications for you know short-term. You might be sick, have to quarantine, and also has implications for whether you could pass it on to somebody who is unvaccinated or vulnerable, such as an aging parent or a child. Um, so there has not yet been an official recommendation in the United States regarding a booster for the Johnson & Johnson um, vaccine. Uh, so in some other countries, they have said that people who got um, the single dose uh, vaccine like Johnson & Johnson, or there's a similar one from AstraZeneca, that they can get a second dose of an mRNA vaccine. We have not said that yet officially by the federal government in the United States. They say that they're still doing research. Johnson & Johnson actually released data saying that if you, in people who got a second dose of the same vaccine, the immune response was better. So there's a little bit of a question of should people who got Johnson & Johnson get a second J&J &J dose? Should they get an mRNA dose? What dose should they get? And that's still being sorted out. Now, what's interesting is that because we're so decentralized in the United States, some states and municipalities can just decide to do something different. And actually here in San Francisco, the Department of Public Health said that if you had been vaccinated with Johnson & Johnson, it was okay for you to talk to your health provider about whether you could get a supplemental dose of one of the mRNA vaccines and that that would be okay. So, um, uh, so remains to be seen with the official recommendations from the FDA and the Centers for Disease Control will be regarding boosters for Johnson & Johnson. And then Pfizer and Moderna. So uh, first of all, a quick note about the difference. Um, there are like minor differences in the chemical formulation, but the most substantial difference is that Pfizer has a smaller dose of mRNA. So in the Pfizer vaccine, it was 30 micrograms. And in Moderna, it was 100. So Moderna is three times the dose of mRNA and the dose of stimulus. Uh, and then Pfizer had a three-week interval between doses. Moderna had a four-week interval between doses. And there's actually a fair amount of evidence that if you have um, the longer interval, gives the body more time to respond to the first dose and then really kind of boost up with the second dose. And that probably makes a bigger difference as people get older, because as people get older, their immune system is slower to uh, respond. So um, 
I have thought all along that Moderna sounded like a better choice for people who are older because uh, the general principles of vaccinating older adults is that we often give them higher doses or something else to stimulate the immune system. And we know they take a little longer to respond. Um, whereas for um, teenagers, um, I think Pfizer sounds good. They don't need necessarily a huge dose. They're, they have very vigorous uh, immune systems and everything kind of works fast and well often in um, children. So what's interesting is uh, that we now have a little bit of information about the performance of the two of them. So the Mayo Clinic, which has um, you know clinics in Minnesota, Florida, Arizona, they tracked um, their patients who had been vaccinated and compared the vaccine efficacy. And what they found was that um, Moderna was a little bit more effective. So uh, the vaccine efficacy, and they also looked both earlier in the year and then in July when Delta was more prevalent. And what they saw is, especially as Delta became more prevalent, although it may also be an effective vaccine waning, the efficacy against hospitalization um, for Moderna was 81% and Pfizer 75%. And then the efficacy against infection, infection for Moderna was 76% and Pfizer, it went down to 42%. Now they did have fairly wide confidence intervals around all those figures. So I'm not sure if that's a statistically significant difference, but that was sort of notable. And they concluded that in Florida, the risk of breakthrough COVID infections were 60% lower in their patients who had received Moderna compared to those who had received Pfizer. On the other hand, the CDC recently published a study of nursing home patients, and they found um, that when they looked at the data for July, so that's you know um, post the emergence of Delta, um, that uh, the vaccine efficacy against infection in July was about 50% for both Pfizer and Moderna. And they had data from earlier um, uh, in the year, I forget like what month it was, but initially after people were vaccinated, the efficacy against infection was about 75% in the nursing home patients, and then they saw it drop down to about 50% for both vaccines. So they did not, when I look at their data, I don't really see a difference between the two. I was a little bit surprised by that. So we're awaiting more um, research. Uh, but for the time being, um, I think Moderna is more likely to generate a significant response in older adults. So if people had a choice. And the thing is, most of us were vaccinated when we were not given a choice. But if there were a choice, I would say Moderna for people who are older, frailer, and Pfizer for people who are younger. So what about breakthrough COVID? So again, a breakthrough COVID infection is testing positive for COVID or, in, or having COVID symptoms and testing positive two weeks after being fully vaccinated. So um, so that is really a reflection of, again, the decreased vaccine effectiveness against infection, not hospitalization. So we are seeing more breakthroughs. That also reflects the fact that more people are vaccinated. And so as COVID goes around, there are more people who are vaccinated and some of them will come down to it. However, even though we see decreased uh, effectiveness against infection, very few breakthroughs are leading to hospitalization. Um, and the hospitalizations are um, usually in people who are older and have multiple chronic conditions. So this means that even though we're seeing breakthroughs, sometimes um, a fair number of them, um, the vaccines are working. They are protecting people from hospitalization. It also looks like depending on the data set you look at, that being vaccinated reduces your risk of catching COVID by a factor of 
it's between five and 10, depending on which data set you look at. So how common or uncommon are breakthroughs? So this is being debated. It's often said in the media that they are uncommon. I don't think they're that uncommon. Um, are they really something for you to worry about is another question. They have definitely gone up during Delta. So in San Francisco in early August, our case rates for COVID were 25 per 100,000 in vaccinated people compared to 62.5 per 100,000 in unvaccinated people. I also saw a recent news article about California where they said that overall in California of all the people who've been vaccinated, um, the number who have subsequently tested positive is about uh, 0.5%. So that's like one in 200 people in California. One in 200 vaccinated people has subsequently tested positive. So, so you're probably not going to test positive, although whether you do depends, as I'm going to explain, on COVID rates in your area and your behavior, how much you expose yourself versus how much you take steps to reduce your uh, your risk. But I I would say breakthroughs are not, uh, I wouldn't describe them as uncommon. I certainly know lots of people who've had them in my personal uh, circle and heard of them. Um, and um, in most people, vaccination provides excellent protection against hospitalization. And so one doesn't necessarily have to worry enormously about um, breakthroughs and we're certainly better off being vaccinated. So what about the Israeli experience? So Israel has been a really interesting model to follow. They got started vaccinating early. They vaccinated a very large proportion of their eligible population, 78% of the eligible population. Now, somebody has pointed out that it's still less than, um, it's in the 50% of the overall population because they have quite a lot of children and people who are younger, but they have overall high vaccination rates. But what they found is that once they relaxed restrictions, um, uh, in early June, they started to see cases go up and they developed a quite significant Delta surge and their numbers are still quite high. Um, so by July, they reported looking at their preliminary data that the vaccine efficacy against infection had dropped down to 39%. And um, they did have almost half of their hospitalized patients were people who were vaccinated. That partly reflects that so many people are vaccinated in Israel. Um, but that they were especially seeing breakthroughs in people who were more than five or six months post-vaccination and that the hospitalized breakthroughs were again, disproportionately older adults. So they ended up deciding to provide a third dose first to everybody who was over 60. They started that at the very end of July and now they've extended it to basically the entire adult population. And they're, um, their case numbers are still quite high, but they are starting to see it go down. They also, once they started giving people the third dose, they were checking viral loads and saw that that third dose uh, really helped reduce the viral load um, in people when they were exposed uh, to COVID. Um, so that indicates that it's reducing the likelihood of getting an infection and also of transmitting it. So uh, now why is this? So in terms of the way the vaccine works, um, when the vaccine provides its initial stimulation, it helps your body create these antibodies. And that's part of why you may have heard of them talking about antibody levels and how they drop down over time. It looks like the antibodies help, especially in the surface areas, like your nose, your mouth, that initial um, level that encounters the virus. And so when the antibody levels are high in your nose and throat and airways, um, you are less likely to catch COVID. You are more resistant. Uh, against it. And so that is dropping down with time. 
However, you have another layer of immunity, um, your T cells, these other kinds of memory B cells that get fired up after the infection gets into your nose. Uh, and that part does not seem to be getting weak right now over time. And that's why they think that we are seeing more breakthroughs where people get symptoms, especially cold or flu type symptoms, but they are not going on to get pneumonias and serious illness the way the unvaccinated people are. Um, so it means that boosters probably would reduce symptomatic infections, breakthroughs, and transmission. So if you're trying to keep people from being sick, having to miss work, having to quarantine, or worry about the risk they could pass it on, the boosters are great, but the boosters are not necessarily super helpful for most of the population in reducing hospitalizations. So boosters have now become like a topic of a lot of controversy. So uh, really quickly, the case for and against boosters. Um, so what we see from Israel and also from data in the States is that the vaccine are becoming less effective, again, against protecting against infection, against those breakthrough infections and those you know, milder infections uh, with time. Israel sort of felt like at around the five month mark was when they really saw a, uh, a drop off. Um, now what's a little unclear is whether we're going to see decreased efficacy against hospitalization, uh, over time, unless you are much older, frailer or immunocompromised. And so far, um, we are seeing some cases and, uh, of COVID go up in nursing homes, but I haven't yet seen a breakdown of the vaccine efficacy against hospitalization going down. It's definitely gone down against infection, whether it's gone down against hospitalization is a little less clear to me. So again, boosters improve the efficacy, the protection against infection, and they reduce transmission, and they do appear to be safe, as safe as the vaccine, as best we can tell. So what's the downside? Um, so there are a couple of downsides. So one is that globally, there are many countries where nobody has been vaccinated at all. So from a global equity perspective, a lot of experts have raised concerns about developed countries rushing to provide a third dose of their population when so many parts of the world have not had a first or second dose. Um, also just within each developed country, there's usually a significant chunk of people who have not been vaccinated and it might be better for us as a population to work on vaccinating those people first, rather than giving a third dose to the people who are most motivated, who are often the ones who are already more likely to be taking precautions. Um, and lastly, um, even though there seems to be a case for boosters for people who are immune compromised, who are older, who are frailer, who are extremely high risk, it's not entirely clear how necessary it is for people who are younger. Um, so that's the, the debate about uh, boosters. Um, so there has been a lot of confusion about boosters in the United States, in part because the messaging and announcements about boosters have been so confusing. So. First, um, a brief timeline. Um, so it did start to become clear this summer that people who were immune compromised were not responding well even to the mRNA vaccines. Um, and so they started looking into giving a third dose and a third dose seemed to help uh, some of them. So in mid-August, the FDA approved a third dose of mRNA vaccine for people who are immunocompromised. I have a link with um, that I'll share in the related links for this session for the CDC page that explains who counts as immunocompromised and who this is recommended for. Um, 
And then the following week, the Biden administration, and it was interesting, it was the administration and health and human services, not, not the FDA and CDC, although some of their appointees were involved apparently in the announcement, but the Biden administration announced that, um, and they, I think, had just recently met with uh, people from Israel to hear more about the experience there. The Biden administration announced that boosters would be available to most um, uh, adults starting September 20th, 2021. This was an announcement that took a lot of experts by surprise. They felt that the data was not yet in, um, first of all, for most adults, I mean, maybe for people in nursing homes, old or frailer, but it was a little unclear that we need to go the route of uh, Israel. And then there's been some pushback from the FDA also. Uh, my understanding is that it's less that the FDA thinks that boosters aren't you know, helpful or safe and more that they had concerns about the timeline, September 20th being a pretty speedy timeline and they want more time to review the data and make sure they understand who it's likely to benefit and under what circumstances. So now this whole plan is being revised. <laughs> you know, I think the administration has walked back a little bit. You know, it's probably not going to be September 20th. It might just be certain very high risk groups at first. Maybe eventually we'll have a third dose. It's not clear when. And that has just led to a lot of confusion, I think, for experts, for doctors, and for the public. Um, also, once they once the FDA approved a third dose for some people and also the Pfizer vaccine got fully authorized and there was this announcement that we're going to do boosters for everyone. Oh, wait, maybe not. Um, that has led to uh, many people asking for boosters from their health providers or sometimes even being offered boosters by their health providers, depending on uh, where they are. So the estimate is that a million people in the United States have gone boosters. Um, even though there's no official recommendation. And then um, to kind of thicken the plot, just yesterday, <laughs> Wednesday, September 8th, the governor of Maryland, who's a Republican actually, Larry Hogan, um, moderate one for whatever that's worth, um, announced that since there wasn't clear guidance from the federal government in Maryland, they had decided that they would give a third dose to certain populations, including older adults who live in facilities. So, um, so this is the thing about the states is that we have, you know, in many ways, a fairly fractured system. Um, so the CDC, you know, makes recommendations and guidelines. The FDA does get to approve um, uh, drugs. Providers do often have leeway to use things off label once they're authorized. It just gets very confusing. But as of today, my understanding is that in the United States, a third dose is only federally approved and recommended for people who are immune compromised. Now, but depending on your state or your locality, there may be a third dose available or recommended for certain populations. And so you do wanna find out what is being recommended by your local um, health authorities because in the United States, um, uh, there is a fair amount of power given to state health departments and county health departments as well. So let me move on now to the questions that I have been hearing. So I've been hearing questions like, 
am I safe or safe enough right now with the Delta surge? Are my aging parents safe or safe enough right now with the Delta surge? Will my vaccine protect me? Should I worry that I'm not protected? Is it safe to travel, socialize, go to my workplace, visit my aging parents, et cetera? How do I keep myself, my family safer? Do I need a booster? Do my parents need a booster? Um, so um, is it safe? So we can never guarantee that it's 100% safe. Um, so what I wanna review is how to think about what is your personal risk? And your personal risk is going to shift over time, especially based on the COVID situation around you. So specifically, your personal risk of harm from COVID comes down to, are you likely to be exposed to COVID? Are you vaccinated? Are people around you vaccinated? And then if you are vaccinated, are you at higher risk for severe breakthrough COVID? Are you likely to be a vaccine non-responder, such as someone who's had an organ transplant or is... Um, you know, on medication that suppress your white blood cells? And to a lesser extent, which vaccine did you get and how long ago was that? Um, so are you likely to be exposed to COVID? Um, so that's really a question of what's the level of transmission in your community? So what are the COVID case rates? How many cases per 100,000 population every day or every week? Um, the CDC considers, um, now let me see, I think it's over five. Hold on, I'm going to double check. The CDC considers a low transmission rate to be less than 10 new cases per 100,000 people over the last seven days. So you have to take the daily rate and basically multiply it by seven. And then are you getting more than 10? Um, so that's part of how, uh, they, uh, consider that, um, you also need to consider your personal household behavior, especially when the rates are high, when the rates are low, your personal behavior has much less of an impact, but when the rates are high in your community, then it's really a question of what are you and the other people in your household, because we're going to assume you're quite exposed to people in your household. What are you doing when you leave the house and how often are you getting exposed to what other people exhale? So are you going indoors with other people? Are people masked indoors or not? Is there good ventilation when you're indoors or not? Um, those are the things that create exposure risks and how much time are you spending there? Um, and also when you go indoors or you're being exposed to other people's exhalations, are you putting on a better quality mask, a mask that's tighter fitting, um, to protect you more from breathing in what other people are exhaling. And then the vaccination of people around you matters also, because although we know that vaccinated people can transmit Delta, they transmit it less. It looks like they're contagious for a much shorter period of time, um, is what we can see. And their viral load goes down. Uh, much more quickly. So um, a key thing to follow, I would say for the next several weeks is your local COVID rates and then also your local vaccination rates. So local vaccination rates don't change really quickly. Uh, hopefully they're slowly going up, but um, local COVID rates do change. So you want to know how much COVID is in your local community. And if there are higher levels of uh, transmission, you want to take more precautions for yourself or your family, especially if the rates are rising or if you happen to live in an area where the vaccination rate overall is lower. And you don't just wanna look at the trend because you can have declining COVID 
cases and still have overall high rates, which is the case for Florida uh, right now. So let me just briefly show you uh, two websites that you can look at. Um, so this is the CDC's COVID uh, integrated county view for the COVID data tracker. So you can put in, so I might do it right here for uh, California and pick San Francisco where I am. And it's going to show me uh, the last week. So it says we are still at a level of um, a substantial transmission. Uh, our test positivity rate is 2.33. So that's under five, so that's good. Uh, and it shows me California right here. So you can see most of the country is at a, a red level. Uh, you can also see the seven day percent change. So we can see that the cases have gone down over the last seven days, which is good. The positivity rate slightly down. Uh, I don't look so much at um, deaths for county level um, information. So you can also look right here at, you know, this is the New York Times. So this is the United States. So, um, so we can see here that we went up and now we're kind of coming back down. There's a little divot there from Labor Day. So that's good. But you really want to look more at, you, at least at your state. And um, so if you scroll down here, you can see the level overall in the United States is 45 per 100,000. But um, in Tennessee, it's 101 uh, per 100,000. South Carolina, 99. So so this way it's listing states in order from highest rates to uh, lowest. And what you can see, you can also see like, where's it going up the most and where's it going down the most? Let's see, I just clicked twice there by accident. I have a little problem with my mouse. Okay, um, so Maine, um, doesn't overall have huge numbers, but it's going up quite a lot in Maine. So these are the states where it's on the upswing right here. Um, and uh, what I wanna say is if you see that it has peaked and is coming down in your state, which is great, um, you still wanna look at what's the overall number. So Georgia is going down, which is great, but their number is still 73 per 100,000, which is high. So I would be feeling better if I lived in Georgia, like at least it's starting to come down. And I would say we're not out of the woods yet because it is still um, quite high. Also, for those of you who say, well, we'll just have a surge, we'll peak and then it'll come back down and everything will be fine. Uh, it's true that uh, COVID tends to come in surges and then we see it come down. But the United Kingdom, um, which had a surge start um, in July, if you look at their count, you know, they went up, it came crashing back down, which is great. And now it's been going up, 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 up. So it's not over until it's over. You know, what we'd like to do is get down to low and have it stay low for a while. Um, and that's when, um, that'll be nice when that happens. But in the meantime, if the rates are high or going up, I would take more precautions. And if they're coming down, that's great. But you still want to take a look at where they are in absolute terms because unless they are coming down and have reached a pretty low level, it still might be warranted to take uh, precautions. Okay. So if you are vaccinated, let me go back to my slides. All right. 
Um, so just to wrap up this update. So if you're vaccinated, should you worry about breakthrough COVID? Um, so again, you know, many cases have no symptoms or mild symptoms. Some people do feel like they have the flu for a week and don't even feel normal a week or two later. Um, but again, uh, very few people who get breakthrough COVID get hospitalized. Uh, but, you know, it can be disruptive to your life to test positive. You might have to quarantine. Your family might have to quarantine. Um, and there is a small chance of hospitalization. Uh, so I think really with breakthrough COVID, there's that inconvenience. And then there's the question of the risk to others. So if you're like me, you work with a lot of frail older people, or you work, you're in contact with a lot of children who can't be vaccinated, then maybe you should be more careful about breakthroughs. Uh, if you're mostly with other vaccinated adults who aren't particularly vulnerable, then maybe it's reasonable to not be that worried about breakthroughs and take fewer precautions. So it's kind of a personal decision. So am I safe or safe enough? Um, nobody's 100% safe, but you know, learn to look at local rates um, and your behavior and the behavior of people around you. And um, that's gonna be kind of how you figure out how safe the current situation is or isn't. Will my vaccine protect me? Yes, you should assume that it will protect you from hospitalization and the most important bad outcomes. It may not protect you from catching COVID or passing it on to somebody else. Is it safe to travel, socialize, go to the workplace and the rest? Again, it depends on COVID rates, where you are, where you're going, the precautions that are being taken and like how much exposure to other people's exhalations there are going to be. And I generally recommend being more cautious when case levels are high as they are now, even though they're getting better and then relaxing uh, later on. Um, and that is how you can keep uh, your family safer by one, getting vaccinated, two, following local case rates and taking more precautions when they are high or uh, going up. Um, do you need a booster? Probably not. Do your aging parents need a booster? Maybe if they are in a nursing home or particularly old or frail, um, I would say, you know, certainly if they're in their late 80s or 90s, they're less likely to have had a vigorous response to the vaccine. And I would say they're probably more likely to benefit from a booster. I would wait till it's recommended for their age group. I expect it'll be recommended for the nursing home population soon. Um, some people are just going out there and getting one. Um, I don't know that I'd recommend that. I think it's unlikely to be harmful, but I'm not sure it's warranted right now for most situations. So to finish up with my recommendations, please get vaccinated if you haven't already done so. Um, the more adult and eligible people we can have vaccinated, um, it really does slow down the pandemic and it keeps the people who cannot be vaccinated like children or are poorly protected by vaccination like frail older adults, it keeps them safer. And you should feel safer from hospitalization by being vaccinated, but don't assume you can't catch or transmit COVID. I do recommend wearing a mask uh, indoors in public places and taking precautions right now, while Delta seems easy to catch and transmit. Uh, be careful with people who are immunocompromised. Outside is always safer. And then um, I think frail older adults should get a booster when it's offered or available, especially if they had Pfizer the first time around. Moderna does seem to be more effective at stimulating the older immune system. And it's unclear whether other adults uh, will need one. And I wouldn't worry about it really too much right now. I think just taking some sensible precautions is a better approach. 
keep following your local case rates. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for watching this update. Please take care, stay safe, be well, and hopefully things will be better in um, another few weeks. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.